Well, you know, life doesn't always go according to plan, does it? Have you noticed that? You know, you start off with a, with a hope, a dream, an idea. Uh, this is how this is going to go. This is how this uh, new possession, new position is going to go. This is how this relationship is going to go. Or these are how the plans are going to unfold. And then somewhere along the way, there's a curve. There's a detour. There's something that happens. And if you're not really prepared for that, and even if you are prepared for that, well, what can happen is that, that discouragement can begin to set in. And, and all of us have spent some time in our life where we have experienced not only uh, hopes and dreams and excitement, but we've come face to face with the reality of discouragement in our lives. You know, one of the things that I ha- have discovered is that sometimes people kind of have the mistaken notion that, well, if I'm, if I'm walking with God, if I'm actually following God's direction and plan for my life, that I won't, won't encounter some of those things or I won't even have to deal with discouragement. But let me tell you, one of the things I have discovered is that very Very often, when there is a great dream from God, you will walk through a season of great challenge and great discouragement. In fact, it's one of the things that God uses to shape us for His assignment, to develop a heart like His in us, that He may have us spend some time walking through a season of discouragement, that God can do some things in our lives through that season. And as we continue to to learn some lessons from David, a man described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, what we discover is that David knew about discouragement. He knew about discouragement, but he also, as we'll hopefully learn from him today, learned how to find encouragement or strengthening in the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, we find these words. We find David in a very interesting place. The first words of that first verse. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, why is David in a cave? David is in a cave because suddenly everything has come crashing down. If you remember, kind of let me reset uh, where we're at here in David's life, this episode of David's life. He's still relatively a young man at this point. He has already been kind of anointed by the prophet Samuel. He's going to be the next king. And everything looks like, man, it's going up and to the right. I mean, he is on the fast track, right? He he is a military hero. Uh, He's beloved by the people. He's married to the king's daughter. He is best friends. His his heart's been knit together with the king's son. Uh, All of the accolades, all of the riches, everything has been coming his way. He's accumulating just this highly impressive resume. I mean, you could not chart a better trajectory trajectory toward the king's throne than what David was on. That is until Saul's heart turned on David. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't going up and to the right. Now it fell off the cliff. Now David is on the run. He actually, Saul has already tried to kill him, threw a spear at him. Jonathan, Saul's own son, uh, kind of checking out his father's heart, comes to David. And that's kind of what took place here in these chapters right before. He comes to David and says, David, run. David, run for your life because he is hunting you down. 
And so now instead of up and to the right, it, 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 is, it is dropping steeply. And, and all of a sudden, he finds himself running with hardly any possessions, no food, no resources, not a lot of uh, the things around him, very little weapons. He's, he's just scrounging at this point for food, for any sort of weapon to survive, all of this. And all of this leads him to a cave. A cave. And if you haven't been there, I can just about guarantee you that somewhere along life's journey, you're going to spend some time in a cave. And that cave is a cave of, of discouragement. It's, it's a cave that, that challenges our understanding of God, our, our understanding of ourselves. But the one thing that I want to drive home uh, along the way is, is a reality that, 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 I, that I hope you'll, you'll get before this day is over. When you're in the cave... It's easy to feel like God's lost track of you, you know? It's kind of like, hey, I'm in this place. It's dark. It's, it's just, it, God must have lost track of me. It's kind of like, you know, you have the, we have the GPSs in our car or dashboard or on our phone or whatever. Have you ever been in one of those? You're in a parking garage or somewhere, and, and it's like no signal, right? It's like this stupid thing, and it won't work because it, it's not getting any signal. It's like, it's like the, the satellite can't track where you are at that moment. And sometimes when we find ourselves in a cave of discouragement, we feel like God's lost track of us. We've lost the signal that somehow, some way, we're not as connected as we should be. But here's what I want you to understand, and this is, I hope, will be some encouragement because what I know is that many of us walked into this room this morning walking through a valley or maybe in a cave. And maybe the discouragement is a relational discouragement. Maybe it's a financial discouragement. Maybe it's discouragement over your health. Maybe it's a, a, a discouragement over, over the career track or, or job loss or whatever it may be. But, but some of us are in the cave right now. But what I want you to hear this morning is that God does some of his best work in caves. God does some of his absolute best work in our lives when he has us in a cave. When he has us in the cave of discouragement. David knew. David knew discouragement. But what I want us to learn from him is that he also knew about encouragement. He also knew how to, how to move beyond the cave. Fast forward a few chapters, and we're going to get there eventually. In chapter 30, there's this, there's this great line that I want us to see, but to set the context, it's just a kind of another wave that's hit David. He's had these guys around him, and they've, they've kind of figured out a life on the run, and, and while they're gone one time, so this enemy comes in and, and kidnaps his family and takes all their possessions, and all the folks that are around David are, are they're upset, they're bitter, they're angry, they're at the point of wanting to kill David. And that, that's where we pick up in these verse 6 of chapter 30. And David David was greatly distressed. There's discouragement. There's distress. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. And then this great line, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The circumstances didn't change. The discouragement was real. The distress was real. The threats were real. The, uh, the, the, the challenges were huge. But he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
And that's what I want us to kind of point to this morning. How do we go about that? When we find ourselves in a valley, when we find ourselves in a cave, when we find ourselves discouraged and distressed, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? How do we find the encouragement that David found? And I want us to look at five things, and not that there's only five things, but there are five that come out of this historical narrative that can be helpful to us to begin to move forward uh, in encouragement. And the first is, pour out your heart to the Lord. Just begin by pouring out your heart to the Lord. The 142nd Psalm is one of many that are recorded in Scripture from David. But I wanted you to see the headline. Uh, the, the writers, the recorders of Scripture, as they put this together, they wanted us to understand the context of this particular Psalm. A mascal of David, when he was in the cave. A prayer. While he was in the cave, David is pouring out his heart with these words. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for I will deal bountifully, you will deal bountifully with me. And you could go on and on throughout the Psalms, but there's something I want you to see about David pouring out his heart. And the first is an encouragement. The encouragement to be honest. To be honest. To just be real. I mean, if you're really going to move out of the cave of, of discouragement, if you're going to move beyond that, it is time to get real. It is time to get honest, right? And let's, let's, let's just talk for a moment. Sometimes when we pray, sometimes when we talk to God, we go kind of weird, don't we? I mean, some of us all of a sudden turn into William Shakespeare, right? It's as if God only understands uh, Elizabethan English or something, right? So this person that talks normal, this person that has this southern accent, when they're in normal conversation, all of, then when they go to prayer, it's, Oh, thou, oh, thou, goodest. And, what is that? I mean, you know, William Shakespeare overtook their body or something, right? I mean, why do we do that? Be honest. Be gut level honest. I tell folks all the time, it's not like you're going to shock or surprise God. It's not like you're going to tell God something he doesn't already know. It's not like you're going to reveal a feeling or a thought that God doesn't know is already churning away in your head and heart. Be honest. If you want to move beyond the cave of discouragement, it, it just prose isn't going to do it. Right? Poetry, you got, you got to be honest. Be honest. I think for some of us, we struggle with prayer because so often we approach prayer and we're not honest. We're not real. We just shift into this religiosity. We shift into the king's English instead of just pouring out our heart before our God. 
Be honest. And then I'm just going to encourage you to be specific. Be specific. So a lot of our praying, a lot of our conversation with God is so general, it's just almost worthless, right? And I'm going to say a couple things, and you can write a nasty note on a card. It's all right. But can I just encourage you to maybe go beyond, Lord, bless everybody today? What does that mean? What are you asking God to do? How are you going to even know if God answers that prayer, for goodness sakes? Be specific. What is it that, you're, what is it that you need from God? What is it that, that you're asking God to do? Where, where is the desperation of your life? I mean, cry out to God. David begins to say, this is what's going on. These are folks that are after me. God, I need your help. I need you to be the refuge. Some of us, we would experience a a great step forward in our relationship with God. A great step forward moving beyond the cave of discouragement if we would just be honest and be specific and pour out our heart to the Lord. He begins right there. Pour out your heart to the Lord. And so I'm going to ask a question that kind of goes along with these points today. And here's the question. How honest is your conversation with the Lord? I mean, be honest on this one, okay? How honest? Is your prayer life tends to be kind of surface in general? Or can you just really open up your heart before your Heavenly Father and say, "This this is where I'm at. If you're really going to experience his encouragement in the cave of discouragement, you've got to be honest. You've got to be specific. You've got to pour out your heart to the Lord. But a second thing that David did that, that needs to be a part of our journey is be open. Be open to receive encouragement from others. And David was a strong man. David was a leader. David, uh, David probably was one like maybe many of us in this room uh, tends to be a whole lot better giving than receiving. But if you're really going to move beyond encouragement, to, beyond discouragement to encouragement, you're going to have to, some of us are going to have to get beyond our pride. Some of us are going to have to get over ourselves. Some of us are going to have to be open to the fact that God may send that encouragement through other people. And he'll use a wide variety. Some examples out of David's life. First was just his very own family. His very own family. So if you stay there in chapter 22, the rest of verse 1. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So that beginning with his own family, there are folks that come to him. There are folks that lean in toward him. There are folks that reach out to him to say, here he is in this cave. Here he is on the run. Here he is with the, the, the number of enemies multiplying. What he needs is somebody to come alongside him. And there are some people around you that need you to come alongside them. Perhaps beginning with your very own family. Perhaps even this week when families gather, you're going to find somebody in your family that needs somebody to get beyond what's the score of the ball game, how much are you eating, and what's the weather outside, to to, to get beyond that, to be able to lean in toward them, to offer encouragement. Or it may be that you need to be the one that receives some encouragement 
encouragement through family this week. But not only family, but God also used friends in his life. He used friends in his life. And so, interestingly enough, as he finds himself in this cave, he begins to to find friends surfacing. Skip down to verse 3. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now let's pause there. What's going on? David David needs somebody. David needs a friend. David needs somebody in this circumstance to do for him what he cannot do for himself. David can't provide protection for his family. David can't provide everything that his, his family is going to need. And so a friend, God sends a friend into his life, this king of Moab, who is going to be able to do for David and David's family what David can't do for himself. And some of us will never move fully away from discouragement until we let somebody do for us what, at least for that season of our life, we don't have the capacity to do for ourselves. We have to allow somebody to do for us what is maybe difficult or impossible for us to do for ourselves or maybe for our family during this season of our life. A prophet speaks into his life to begin to to give him some counsel and discouragement or encouragement along the way. If you will find one more friend in the next chapter, his beloved friend Jonathan, at risk no doubt to himself, comes alongside, verse 16 of chapter 23, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. What a friend. Somebody that shows up at great personal cost to strengthen his hand in his God. Family, friends, But I want you to know that God will also bring some others across your path. Some others. And this may be somebody that you don't know. Somebody that you've never met before. But somebody that brings a perspective. Somebody that brings an expertise. Somebody that brings a connection that you don't have. And all of a sudden, God at just the right time brings that person into your life. Or perhaps many examples of that as we would go through this season of David's life. Because he's going to spend, by the way, almost 10 years of his life on the run. That's a season. That's a season. But God brings a wide variety of things across his path. One was a woman by the name of Abigail. Abigail's husband, Nabal, had had acted in an incredibly disrespectful way to David and his men as they had provided uh, protection for his shepherds and he wouldn't even give them food. And David, in his anger, was going to react and was going to just basically wipe them out. Abigail intervenes and kind of intercepts David and his plans. Verse 32, and David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you, for you have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by the morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Notice that phrase as he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. 
at just the right time, God sent this person he had never met before across his path, intercepted his trajectory, and, and directed his pathway different. God will send some people across your path. Maybe somebody you've never met before. Maybe somebody you hadn't heard from in forever. But God will use those people as avenues, as agency of his encouragement in your life. And so the question is kind of twofold here. The first is, who do you encourage? Second, who encourages you? And then how? How? Who are those people that are the encouragers in your life? Who is it that God may be sending you across their path to be that Jonathan, to be that Abigail, to be a a family member, to be somebody to bring encouragement to somebody who finds themselves in the cave of discouragement today? Thinking about the fact that we had our children singing today, I was uh, thinking about football season. I I don't know if you uh, you, uh, are aware of the name of Blair Walsh. Blair was a, a kicker for the Minnesota Vikings, a professional football team. I uh, actually had had a, had a great year last uh, last season. Uh, he made an NFL high 34 field goals. As the Vikings were entering into the playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks, he had converted an incredible 33 out of 34 kicks inside the 30-yard line in his career. I mean, 33 times out of 34 inside the 30, he nailed it. I mean, he's money, right? Money from that distance. They're in a playoff game the earlier this year with the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle's up 10 to 9, 22 seconds left. The Vikings get into position. Walsh lines up for a 27-yard field goal. Money, right? 33 out of 34. Piece of cake. Ball snapped. Leg whips. Ball flies in the air. Nobody touches it. Viking fans ready to celebrate until the ball sails wide and all of a sudden this guy who hardly ever misses missed perhaps the most important field goal of the season Seahawks celebrate and they go on in the playoffs the Vikings season comes to a crashing halt one of the things about living in the day of talk radio and social media is that reactions immediate and can be pretty ugly and that's what happened. I mean, immediately, it just, it just started piling on. And it's, all of this hatred and all of this stuff was just spewing uh, Blair Walsh's way. And this media storm's going on around him, and everybody's got to come in, and, and most of them aren't very good. And there was a group of first graders in Minnesota that decided to approach it a little bit differently. And this group said, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to encourage this broken-hearted kicker. First grader Allie Edwards said, Blair was really sad, and we wanted to make him feel better. And so they just put together some letters and cards that they sent to this professional kicker, Blair Walsh. Let me just give you a couple of these. One of her classmates wrote, Dear Blair Walsh, I think you should, S-H-O-O-D, I think you should keep trying. Don't give up. We still love you. Get, G-I-T, get better by practicing, right? (laughs) Tyler Dolphin fills up a whole page for Walsh. Dear Blair, 
I fell, F-E-L-L, I fell bad for you, I think feel, I fell bad for you, don't give up, you're still number one, practice, P-R-C-T-I-S, practice more so that you can get better at kicking, C-I-C-I-N-G, at kicking, you're so good at C-I-C-N-G, so don't give up, keep trying, we still love you. And on and on, these homemade cards and letters uh, poured out of this classroom. And Blair Walsh, I mean, he, he, he was booked on a plane. He was leaving. I mean, he was getting away from this firestorm. And he decided not to get on that flight, but instead go to that school. And he spent some time with those children, just thanking them. In an interview following after his visit, he said, It was very touching to me. A lot of the cards were pretty and creative. I will cherish them forever. Now listen, if a classroom full of first graders can encourage somebody, so can you. You don't even have to spell right, right, to encourage, right? You don't. You don't have to have great grammar. You just have to show up. You just have to reach out. You just have to lean in when maybe everybody else is criticizing and leaning out. Who do you encourage? Who encourages you? And how? A third way that David strengthened himself in the Lord, found that encouragement in the Lord, was just to be aware of kind of the uniqueness of that season. And you have to be careful to resist temptation. When you find yourself in the cave, you have to be careful to resist temptation. Moving forward to chapter 24, David is in another cave. He's on the run. Saul's been hunting him. He's very close. In fact, it's so close that David's hiding in the back of a cave. And Saul, separated from his uh, protection, finds himself in that same cave. And David's men are looking and they're saying, this is your chance. This is a God-given opportunity. Take his life and take the throne. You'd be tempted to do that, wouldn't you? Seems like an easy solution. Seems like it would make your problems disappear. Right? But David knew better. David knew this was not of the Lord. So if you look at verse 6, there in the cave, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. What we need to understand when we're in the cave is that there is a connection between the cave and temptation. There is a connection between the cave and temptation. And what I know and what you know, maybe through your own life, certainly through the lives of some others you've seen, we've seen people do stupid when they're in a cave. 
We've seen people make a decision, uh, make a choice, take an action when they're hurting, when they're angry, when they're upset, when they're discouraged, that has ramifications that sometimes they regret the rest of their life. There are people who will do things in the cave of discouragement that they normally wouldn't do. They would give in to a temptation in the cave of discouragement that they normally would be resistant to because they are worn down. We've talked before the, that word halt, H-A-L-T. Uh, I am more susceptible to the temptation when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, and when I'm tired. When, when I'm hungry, and that's, not, that's a physical hunger, but that, that may be an emotional hunger, that may be all sorts of hungers. Angry, when I'm lonely, when I'm tired, physically tired, emotionally tired, mentally tired. Those are times that I have to be aware. I'm in a cave. And in the cave, I am more susceptible to temptation. In the cave, I am more likely to choose stupid over wise. In the cave, I have to resist certain temptations. You see, it's so easy to rationalize a shortcut. When you're in the cave, it's so easy. It would have been so easy for David to do what his men did. Hey! God didn't want me to kill Saul. He wouldn't have sent him in this cave, right? Let me just take care of this. It is so easy to rationalize a shortcut, particularly when you're weary, particularly when you're discouraged, particularly when you're distressed and under pressure. And David was in all of those things. And maybe you're here today and you're in the valley. You're in the cave and I'm just going to ask you, maybe let the Lord just prompt you on this one today. What shortcuts are you tempted to take? Is there a shortcut you're tempted to take? Because what you're going to find is that there's really not a shortcut to any place worth going in the end. And what seems like a shortcut to a better tomorrow ends up being a disaster for you if it's going against God's way. But when you're in the cave, it is so easy to rationalize a shortcut. Be aware. Be aware of the connection between the cave and temptation. David was wise enough in this setting to understand where he was and what he was more susceptible to. A fourth thing that helped David to move on uh, to, to encouragement was to seek and obey, to seek and obey God's direction. Let me take us back to chapter 30. There in chapter 30, as we, we, we had mentioned earlier, David has been on the run now for several years. He's got this band of folks around him, and they've, they've kind of established a, a little community, if you will, families and all of these things. Uh, the men, the fighting men are all gone, and while they're gone, this enemy comes in. This enemy comes in and defeats the kind of their encampment there. Not only defeats, it takes all of their possessions and kidnaps their family. So every one of these men, they come back. Their wives, their children are gone. All of their possessions are gone. I mean, you can understand. They were bitter. They were angry. They were upset. They were ready to say, David, you don't know what you're doing. David, you're a horrible leader. David, what have you gotten us into? Da, 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 da. I mean, that just, let's, let's, let's throw this guy out, right? And they didn't vote him out. I mean, they were going to kill him, right? They're going to stone him, right? All of this is going on. David strengthens himself in the Lord, as we saw there just a moment ago in verse 6. But then notice what he does right out of that. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? 
Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. In the midst of this, in the midst of all that he was feeling, the hurt, the pain, the loss, the bitterness, the anger, the threats, the I'm not sure if he was even going to live to the end of the day, all of that, he, he reorients himself back to God. He reorients himself back to the direction of God. He inquires of the Lord. And as he inquires of the Lord, he begins to reorient himself back to what God is doing, back to what God's next step for him is. And when he does that, he experiences a renewed hope. See, discouragement destroys hope. That's one of the things that discouragement always does. We, we have this hope. We have this dream. We have this idea. We have this even great calling of God upon our life. But then discouragement sets in. And when discouragement sets in, our hope begins to crumble. And as we said a few weeks ago, when there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. And so regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the challenges, regardless of everything that was going on around David, as he reoriented himself back to God, God, what is the next step? God, what is it that you would have me to do right now? God, what is the next step for me right now? As he reoriented himself back to that, it started to restore hope. It's yes pursue. Yes, you will rescue. And with that hope, there was an empowerment. There was a power to get up and to move forward. Now, let me, let me put this in context of what we said at the beginning. Sometimes you just have to get off your lament and do something, okay? Some of you were going to put another word in that blank, weren't you? Some of you already filled it out. I know. Go back and scratch it out now. Sometimes you just have to get off your lament. Yes, Pour out your heart to the Lord. Start there. Absolutely. Be honest. Be specific. But at some point, you have to get beyond your lament. At some time, you have to get beyond pouring out your heart to God and inquire of the Lord, God, what's next? God, what is my next step? God, what can I do? But it's not just inquiring of the Lord, but you actually have to do something. You actually have to obey. Sometimes we, out of our pain and discouragement, we'll pray, Oh God, what do you want me to do? And then here's the next step. And it's like, I don't want to do that. I don't have enough strength to do that. I don't think that's going to work. God didn't ask you any of that. You said, what's the next step? He said, this is the next step. And there comes that moment when you have to say, God, I don't feel like it. I don't even know if it's going to work. Part of me just wants to sit here and wallow. But I'm going to get up off my lament and I'm going to do something. I'm going to take that next step. And so I'm going to ask you when you spend time in the cave, do you reorient yourself back to God? Are you seeking God's direction for your life? But don't just stop with seeking. Are you actually obeying God's counsel for your life? What is the next step? It didn't necessarily say, here's the next 20 steps. Here's the next step. Will you obey the next step? Sometimes the movement out of the cave begins with that single step. God, this is your direction. I am going to begin to walk in it. Seek and obey God's direction for your life. One more, not that there's only five, but one more out of this historical narrative. You have to find your ultimate refuge in the Lord. You have to come to that point where you recognize 
All of these other things are wonderful, they're great, but my ultimate refuge, my ultimate security, my ultimate encouragement is going to be in the Lord. And you begin to see that in the Psalms as David kind of unpacked his heart. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, what does it mean to find my ultimate refuge in the Lord? What happens to us sometimes is that God, God is so gracious to us. He, he gives us so many wonderful gifts. And many of us, we, we, have, we have wonderful homes. We've had educational opportunities. We have careers that we love. We have relationships that mean the world to us. We we have physical health. We have opportunities. All of these things. And those are good and gracious gifts from God. And and I hope that if those are part of your life, that not only this week, but every, every week, you would spend time saying, God, thank you. Thank you for these good and gracious things in our life. But if we're not careful... There's a subtle shift that can take place in our hearts and minds. If we're not careful, the gift can become more important than the giver of the gift. If we're not careful, we can start to depend more on the gift than the giver. And there may be that God will take you through a season where he'll begin to kind of take some of the props out because you started to lean on them more than you're leaning on him. And it may be a health thing. It may be a job loss. It may be a relationship blow up. It may be something that happens, you get relocated and you start all over and you don't have that house and you don't have those friends. and All of a sudden, all of that changes in your life. And God takes some of those props. And they're not bad things. They're gifts from His hand. But you have begun to lean on them more than you're leaning on Him. And God may, for a season, remove those from your life so that you will find your ultimate refuge in the Lord. David had so many good gifts. Career up and to the right. Finances, absolutely. Connections, relationships, beloved, fast track to the throne. All of that was there. And what did God do? God removed all of those things from his life. God began to take those props one by one out of his life so that no longer would he be able to lean on them. He would have to find his ultimate refuge in the Lord. And it may very well be that as God shapes your heart and develops a heart like his, he is going to take some props out of you. He is going to kick them out for a while. Remove them so that you will find your ultimate refuge in him. And God, God has a way of doing that, bringing us to that point where the only thing we can do is trust Him. Not in the props, but in Him alone. And as you read these Psalms, what you find is that David came to the point where he declared his declaration of dependence. Now, we love our declaration of independence, don't we? <laughs> but if I'm really going to find my encouragement of the Lord, I have to come to that point where God Thank you for all these gifts. They are wonderful gifts from your hand, but I recognize they're temporary. <laughs> they're from you. They're temporary. I get to steward them for a while. May not, be, may not steward them tomorrow. I just I get to steward them today. But God, my ultimate hope, my ultimate refuge, my ultimate source of encouragement is not in these gifts, but it's in the giver.
My ultimate refuge is in you. I am absolutely dependent upon you. God brought David to the point in the cave and on the run where he declared his declaration of dependence. And so the point of reflection is, am I trusting more in God or in the props? Am I trusting more in the giver or in the gifts? Now, as we kind of try to draw this together, I, I, I want you to know that David's not the only one that knew about caves. In fact, is if you go to the Gospels, what you find is that Jesus also knows about caves, right? I mean, think about, think about that. Jesus, all this, all this going on, and that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, all the hopes, all the dreams, all the excitement. Here is, here's the King. Here's the Messiah. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. All of this. And then in a matter of days, it all comes crashing down. And the one that everybody looked for thought he's going to establish the kingdom and all this. All of a sudden, he's arrested. He's beaten. He's tortured. Ultimately, he's crucified. And the one who is going to be the king, the one who is going to establish this kingdom, they watch as he dies on a cross. And they take that beaten body, they take that dead body, and they throw it into a cave, and they roll this huge stone across it. The dream is dead. Jesus is dead. Finished. But it wasn't finished, was it? You know Easter. That's why we celebrate it, right? That's why we celebrate it. Because Jesus not only knew about caves, but Jesus also knew that caves is where God brings dead things to life. <laughs> you, you, you put a dead, lifeless body in this cave and you roll a stone and you think, yeah, that's done, that kingdom's done, that teaching's buried, it's over with. But then on the third day, he arose from the dead. <laughs> because in the caves, God brings dead things to life. Can I, can I just encourage some of you this morning? Because you're in a cave. Or maybe even before the year's out, you're going to find yourself in a cave. And you're going to wonder, has God lost track of you? Does God know where you are? God knows where you're at because in the cave, God brings dead things to life. In the cave, God brings dead dreams back to life. In the cave, God brings dead faith back to life. In a cave, God will take a relationship that's shattered and broken and bring it back to life. In the cave, God takes somebody that's beaten and weary and discouraged and brings them to life with encouragement. In the cave, hope seems dead, but God brings it back to life. In the cave, it seems like end of the road, end of the story, defeat. But in the cave, God brings to life victory out of defeat. In the cave, God shapes character to match his assignment for your life. In the cave, God develops a heart like his. Because what you'll discover is if you'll allow him, God does some of his best work in caves. I have to just share this story with you even as the, the kids were singing earlier. God's not dead. He's fully alive. And by the way, some of you need to work on your jumping there. As there's not a lot of, not a lot of vertical lift there uh, for some of us. The great reformer, Martin Luther, even as he sought to be obedient to God and Scripture, 
found himself surrounded by great enemies. He knew what it was to be hunted. He knew what it was to go into hiding. He knew what it was to have his life threatened along the way. He, he knew discouragement, even to the point of depression at times. And one of the stories that's recorded out of Luther's life was he, he was just in one of those seasons where the discouragement was so heavy and, and it, it, you probably today would even perhaps classify it as, as, as depression over a prolonged period of time. And his wife watched all of this and, and finally came to the point that she needed to do something. And so she, she went to, to the other room and she dressed all in black in funeral wear, what you would wear if you were in mourning. And she comes into the room where Luther's at with all of this apparel on. And Luther looks at her and he obviously knows that he's missed something. And he said, who died? And she looked back at him and said, God has. Luther said, God hasn't died. And then perhaps as only a spouse can, she looked at him and said, well then live like it and act like it. God's not dead. He's fully alive. And that God hasn't lost track of you, even in the cave. He knows exactly where you are and exactly what he's doing. God does some of his best work in caves, if you'll let him. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, we just confess on the front end we don't like caves. We don't like the darkness, the dampness. We don't like the aloneness. We don't like all that it represents. But, Father, there's a part of us, at least, that likes what you do in caves. That you do something in caves that we can't do in and of ourselves. You do some of your best work in caves. And Lord, I just pray right now knowing that there's some folks in this room right now that find themselves in a valley. It's not going up and to the right. They find themselves in a cave. And Lord, today they need to experience an encouraged heart. Lord, there's some right here right now that you are sending on assignment, perhaps to their very own family this week. You're sending them on an assignment to be an encourager, to be a strengthener in someone else's life. And Father, we just come in these last few moments in this setting and just say, what is your direction for us? What is the next step we need to take in obedience to you? 